Welcome to No Ordinary, Ordinary women. women, the podcast where two ordinary broads talk about extraordinary women, the good, the bad, and, and the, the bad shit crazy. Soul sister. Hey, Lynn. Hey, Rose. Welcome to episode 14, I think. No, it's 15. 15. Because we recorded Lucky 13 last week. Oh, yeah. And then we just recorded one. And then now this is 15. This is episode 15. Oh, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. So, Rose, what's your what's your news, New Year's thing? <laughs> well, one of them is to give my kids chores. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many chore charts online. Like I like went down the biggest rabbit hole and my kids like when the girls are older, like when Pinterest like got yeah, popular. Right. Oh my gosh, there's so many chore yeah, charts I'll, and I'll print a few I actually out. had Visa card that they each had their own debit card and I could load money on Oh yeah, Joseph has one of those. Yeah, I could load money money on it based on his chore based on their chore progress. Yeah. Well, they're so. not getting money for it. No, but I mean I'm it was just, just going full, it was an allowance for like do your chores. You don't get anything. Full you don't slave get, mode. You don't get dinner unless <laughs> you do your chores. <laughs> Full slave mode. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, no, but my real New Year's resolution, I think, is just to grow the podcast. Yeah. I think we've done an excellent Shrink job. Shrink my waistline and grow the podcast. Well, that's always, you know, get get in better shape was always my goal. But I think growing the podcast and just working on it and getting better and better. Yeah, I'm I'm still toying with dry January. It's going to make the podcast kind I am of... Gonna, I'm going to do dry January. So then we have to make mocktails. Oh, yeah. That would be fun. But I could slide some alcohol in yours and you won't even know. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'm not drinking, I'll probably get really drunk. Yeah, no. So I don't know. I still have... I'm still toying around with that. But um, I definitely am kicking off the new year with getting healthier. Um, I just... Like, I... During the pandemic... Worked out like crazy, went stores running and walking all the time. Yeah. And then, yeah, I don't, and then something happened. To, I hurt to... myself and then I stopped and yeah. then I started and then I stopped and I started and then I hurt my foot. And my foot's been going on since like July. And so I can't like so it's I don't know, but I still can be lifting weights. And so I've got to figure something out. Um, I'm watching people that are posting like Pelotons on yeah. sale and they're get, I, there's one that I keep seeing on the marketplace, and it's like down to like 650. Oh, and so I was like, hmm, get it, girl, get it. So I don't that's know. We'll see. That's I, super I really can't afford that right now. But um, and my house is so small. The thought of having something like that in my house stresses me. Oh yeah. Well, you could put it in your guest room. No, there's nowhere to put it in there because when the beds open, it takes up the oh. entire room. Where else would you put? I it? I would have to put it in my bedroom. Like so, I'd have to. Well, you don't use that TV that's in there. No, I what I do is mount the TV to the wall. Get rid of that. I have, like, I've used that TV once. That, that sex swing, you can get rid of that and no, I use that and the pole all the time. <laughs> <laughs> She's lying. I don't have that stuff. Um, I wish I did, but I know. <laughs> no, but I have that little three shelf thing in the corner that just has a bunch of stupid shit yeah, on it right. that I could probably just get rid of. And I could put it there. I was thinking about it. Yeah. And then I could mount the TV on the wall there. I've watched TV in there once. Since I've lived in that house. Yeah. I don't watch TV in my bedroom often at all. But if you can get a Peloton, I love Peloton. I know. Everybody that has one absolutely loves it. But I have the treadmill. I just don't know that I would. I don't and know. And the bike. And I have all the weights. 
But I have and like I have clothes, Peloton clothes. Oh my god, you're a lunatic! <laughs> I, I love Peloton. I joined. I love like Body Pump and Body Flow and all those yeah. kind of classes, and they're all the, from the Les Mills program. And I ordered a subscription to them last year, and I was doing it faithfully in my house. It's just hard to do that stuff in your house because like. It's hard to be like standing on my hardwood floor and then like I back up and I'm half on the rug, half on the hardwood yeah, floor. Right. And then I can't like roll back the carpet every time I have to do it. It's it's like kind of a pain in the neck. Um, but I love doing body pump. I love it. I mean, the- well, the good thing about Peloton is you can do all the classes. I know. But but and you love like you get like hooked on the instructors, like certain yeah, but, instructors. But but what? you have to get off your ass and do it. I've had the. The Les Mills. I know, but you love them so much that you just do it. Okay, well, I might. I don't know. We'll see. I we'll see. I'm. I'm. I. It's I fun definitely. One. And then we can. Something. We can be friends, and then I can see when you're not, not working out, friend. and then I can look and I can harass you. Won't be your friend. I looked at my bosses the other day, and I was like, "Oh, I see you haven't worked out in like a month." <laughs> she was like, "Why are you sucking me?" <laughs> no, but I mean, like Megan's really into it, so I would definitely have people. Oh, does and she I'm, have a Peloton too? Yeah, <gasps> and I'm very competitive, so I know Ask that. Her, Text her right now and ask her for her her Peloton okay. name. I so I, I know I'm competitive, so I probably do well knowing that I had other people yeah. like to being helping me be accountable. And you so, can do classes together. So I should have just asked for it for Christmas. I know. <laughs> Someone would have gotten it. Nobody. Santa. Nobody, no, Santa, Santa baby. You can do. I think there's like a camera on it, and you can like do live like classes with your friends. Like not nobody else can see you, but just you and your friends. I think you can do that. Huh. I've never. Well, done you don't it. have any friends, so you would never do. that. I know because I don't. That's why I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but if you got one, my one friend, I could do it with you. Do you have Mary's Peloton? I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're like I don't know. I just got to Maybe I'll come over here like at some point and do like one or two rides and see if I really like it. But I feel like even in the new year, like I feel like after Christmas, like you know, people that have to have the new and like latest and greatest of everything. Yeah. Like I know Peloton's come out with like a lot of new stuff. Right. So what if I got like somebody was trying to get rid of theirs real quick? Like, Well, a, I don't think you're going to get a better deal than $600. Oh, it's like 680 That's super, super cheap. I know, but I just don't have $600. A person well, on Facebook Marketplace isn't going to take a credit card. <laughs> Excuse me, can you finance this for me for six years? <laughs> yeah. $100 a year. Oh, my God. But that's so anyway, um, that, no matter how I do it, um, no matter how I do it, um, I am definitely going to do some get into a workout regimen. Is that your New Year's resolution? That's my New Year's resolution. I'm still considering... Dry January. I'm definitely going to start tracking everything with Weight Watchers because I am successful with Weight Watchers. I'm going to need a better resolution than that. Like well, Weight Watchers, we, is, we, Weight Watchers is my first and foremost. Like okay, tracking everything yeah. again and okay, well, I'll wholeheartedly that. doing Weight Watchers, I'll not half-assedly okay. doing Weight Watchers. Um, that's my resolution. And then I usually come up with an- another um, another another. Um, resolution that kind of changes my life a little bit like it, this is kind of funny but like one year this was like six years ago i said i was going to make my bed every day starting oh, years, really? and i did and yeah. i still make it every single day oh really unless i'm changing my sheets but i make my bed every single I day i should do that but the kids just fuck it up so i never used to make my bed ever and um, my grandmother always told me to make my bed people that make this is what made me do it people that make their bed are more successful in life than people that don't make their bed that's just because that's the kind of personality. They have. No, but I just like I was like, well, you know, it can't hurt. 
Yeah, no, I always like, I love when my bed's made. But my kids go in and just fuck it up, so. And they're in my bed until, like, I leave. Like, I will literally be making the bed and Charlotte will come and jump on it as I'm making it. I'm like, what are you doing? So I I asked Megan what her Peloton name was. She said, my name's Megan. (laughs) (laughs) Let me me try to put that into my Peloton app. Oh, I said, I didn't spell Peloton correctly. I spelled it Peloton. Peloton. That's a shocker. Wait, hang on. I know. I'm such a good speller. (laughs) She can't see either. P-E-L. Is it A-T-O-N? No. Oh. P-E-L-O-T-O-N? Yeah. Oh, that's how I spelled it. I didn't think I spelled it right. I was like, Rose wants your Peloton name. She said, what? My name is Megan. (laughs) 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 Dummy. (laughs) Oh, my God. What a stupid. Anyway. All right. You ready to do this, girlfriend? I guess. So Even you guys, though you didn't give me, did you give me a resolution? I said I'm going to do uh, my my one resolution without a doubt, no is matter what. Watchers. Is I'm going to. But then what's your little one? I haven't decided like, a, like a, I'm going to like, am I going to like never go to bed with dishes in my sink? Or am I going to always blah, 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 like da, 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 blah, blah. I don't know. I don't know what the other thing is going to be. I then. usually make um one like regular one and then one financial one. My financial one? My financial one this year is to be rich. So, Oh, my financial one is to be 100% out of credit card debt and stay that way. Oh, Megan's is very funny. It has the word pancakes in it. I won't say the whole thing because I want to keep her privacy, but I will send it to you, which is pretty funny. It doesn't surprise me because she is definitely a sugar and carbaholic. She (laughs) loves her sugar and she loves her carbs. So do I. So that's her name. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that it has pancakes in it, that makes me laugh. That's so funny. Yeah. So does she wait, does she have a treadmill? She has a regular treadmill, not a Peloton oh, treadmill. Well, but she runs on the she uses the Peloton app to run. I can't be friends with her. <gasps> oh my god. I have Peloton. But can't you use like if you have a regular treadmill, can't yeah, you, you can use the app. Yeah, that's what she does. Yeah. But she has a treadmill good. and a Peloton bike. She uses both. But you know, my treadmill, because I have the Peloton treadmill, I can hit the the little button and it when they say to like go at a certain incline, it goes automatically. So when you're doing like oh, a run, and it's like oh, go, that's nice. go up to you know incline five or whatever, it does it automatically. It's mm. really nice. And when I'm do, I do a lot of hikes on my bike on my treadmill. You know what, Rose? I just had a really good idea. What? What if we got Peloton to sponsor us and they give me one for free? Oh, that would. And be then a good I could idea. report back to my great body shape. You should do that. Yeah, I will. I'll reach out to them, okay. see if they'd like to sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yes, sure ma'am. with all the followers we have, they yeah. would love to do that. Yeah, that was not me farting. That was the chair. Mm-hmm. I probably just unplugged you. Oh, my unplugged? God. No, I'm not unplugged. You're unplugged. Hold no, on. I'm not. Hold on, everybody. I got to crunch it, down. You're, def- you're definitely unplugged. You can say you're not, but I'm <laughs> it says plug unplugged. Are you sure you're plugging in the right thing? Yeah. It says I was plugged in that whole time. You are not. This is your plug right here. Okay, if you Look. say so. It still says I'm plugged in. <laughs> You're absolutely not. Oh, because it's the little re- the little power thing in between keeps your power on. Oh, uh, okay. That box. The box. Your box keeps My the box power. keeps the power <laughs> Your box keeps That's the juices flowing. Says. Okay. Okay. I'm going right. to start. Go ahead. I'm going to tell you today about Mary Coffin Ware Dennett. She was born on April 4th. 1872 in Worcester, Massachusetts. She was the second child of four. Wasn't the last lady the second child of four, too? No, she was the third of four. 
Yeah, she's a third of four, I think. Fourth of? Yeah, third of four. <laughs> anyway, uh, one of the children died in infancy, one of her siblings. Uh, she was born to George and Vonnie Ware. Mary was a precarious, talkative, and assertive child. She would scold her older brother for striking her, often quoting the Bible when she did. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. She learned to read and write by the age of five and excelled in school. She spent most of her childhood in Massachusetts. Her father worked as a hide and wool merchant and often traveled and worked long hours to support his family. His father died of, I'm sorry, her father died of cancer when she was only 10 years old. So the family. God, all these dads. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, That's the mom like the died theme, last time. The theme of the night. Yeah. Parental deaths. Um, her father died of cancer when she was only 10 years old. So the family moved to Boston to be closer to her mother's relatives. Her mother supported the family by organizing and chaperoning European tours for young women. So she would take she would um, she advertised that she would go to Europe with young women that wanted to travel and be like their chaperone. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. So it's like it was really good pay and she got to travel. Oh, my God. Why don't we do that? It would be great. I mean, because women can travel on their own now. They couldn't back then. Yeah, but not like teenagers. Yeah, but I mean. I mean, that's yeah, true. I don't but... want to hang out with a bunch of teenagers. And nobody's going to trust their kid with me. Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> her mother was often traveling. So Mary and her siblings stayed with their aunt, Lucia Ames Mead. Her aunt participated in many social reform groups, wrote numerous articles, and spoke at meetings advocating for world peace and women's suffrage. The women's suffrage movement advocated for women's rights to vote. Through demon- and so we all know that because we know I've talked about women's suffrage before. Yeah, and so have yeah. I. Through demonstrations, lobbying, and publications, women voiced their dissatisfaction with laws that prohibited women from voting or participating in politics. It was later said in Mary's biography that her aunt greatly influenced her later interest in the anti-war and suffrage movements. Mary enrolled in the School of Art and Design in the Boston Museum of Fine Arts in 1891 as an art design student. She studied textile design and won prizes for her art, which included tapestries and leatherwork. That was after her father. She learned that from her father. She graduated with honors. She took a teaching position at the Drexel Institute of Art in Philadelphia in 1894. She also had a position at the Drexel Institute teaching design and decoration from 1894 to 1897. She was going places. In 1897, Mary left the Drexel Institute of Art to travel to Spain and Italy, where she studied antique leatherwork. When she returned to the U.S. after three months of travel, she settled in Boston. There, she organized art exhibitions for the Society of Arts and Crafts in Boston, which focused on publicizing handcraft artwork. So, like, craft work and stuff, as we know it, like you go to a craft show or whatever. Right, that was yeah. Like, that was, like, the up and coming of yeah, right. that kind of thing. That's what I do on the side. Yeah, sure. In 1894, she met architect William Hartley Dennett and married him in 1900. She continued to work and regularly gave regularly gave lectures and wrote about arts, the arts and crafts movement. Mary and William shared similar interests in the arts and crafts movement and soon brought brought <laughs> bought a farmhouse in Framingham, Framingham, Massachusetts. They didn't bring one there; they bought one there. <laughs> Together, they started an architectural and interior design firm. In addition to her work as an interior designer. Oh, my God. Is this Chip and Joanna? 
No, it's not. <laughs> it's their grandparents. <laughs> okay, so in in addition to her work as an interior designer and this word, and I didn't look up how to pronounce it. I missed it in my Is review. It it's no, it's not hearth. <laughs> it's guadamasile. Guadamas guadamasile. Oh yeah, I know what that means. No, you don't. <laughs> Uh, maker is an art. So I looked up the definition, but I forgot to look up the pronunciation. It's an artist leatherwork technique. This is really cool. Clearly aesthetic, decorative, and luxury purpose is to care is characterized by the application of a thin sheet of silver, which serves as a preparation layer that must then be colored. Once the skin, the leather, generally generally of sheep has been silvered in this way, it's coated with a yellow varnish imitating gold. It's then engraved with iron and colored. Oh. Isn't that cool? That sounds pretty. I was like, oh, my God, that's fantastic. Because I looked it up, looked up what it was, and then I was going to look up the pronunciation, and I was like, oh, my God, I have to include that. Did you look that. up a picture of it? Uh, yeah, I did look up a picture of it. Um, so the Dennett's first child was born in December of 1900, a son named Carlton. Uh, Mary had a very difficult labor, which ne- nearly killed her. Three years later, in 1903, Mary was pregnant again. She gave birth to another boy she named Appleton. That's the name of a liquor. (laughs) That's so weird. After another difficult labor, Mary became very ill. The baby was not thriving and died three weeks later. Oh, no, baby. So sad. Two years after that, in 1905. Oh, my God, Lynn. Sorry, guys. Telling me to do some project. (laughs) I'll start over. Two years after that, in 1905, Mary and William had their third child, a boy named Devon. Mary, again, had a very difficult labor and became extremely ill. After Devon was born, Mary's doctor warned her not to have any more children due to a laceration in her uterus that required corrective surgery, which she actually underwent in 1907. Oh, my God. Can you imagine having having surgery on your uterus in 1907? I mean, literally, she probably was in bed for like a month. I mean, Probably more than that. Oh, my God. The thought of it makes me oh want to cringe. God. There was no laparoscopic surgery back then. They didn't have gloves. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Following her, they probably did it in her bed in her house or something, too. <laughs> yeah. Following her reproductive difficulties, Mary and her husband refrained from intercourse. Well, thank God. <laughs> yeah. at, well, at this time, Mary stopped working in order to recover and take care of her children. Later, she wrote of the couple's lack of information on birth control. So they had to abstain, which is not very practical. And so, um, as you said in in yes in last week's episode, you said you know abstaining. They've proven not to work. Yeah, right. Um, so she, there was like no knowledge about birth control back she then. So she was quoted as saying, "I was utterly ignorant of the control of conception." Um, as it was, my husband. I'm sorry. I'll start over. I was utterly utterly ignorant. I was utterly ignorant of the control of conception, as was my husband also. We never had anything like normal relations, having approximated most complete abstinence in the endeavor to space our babies. So basically, she just said the only way that we could not continue to have kids was just to just abstain. Not sex, yeah. That's not very realistic, especially back then. You had to do it just to be warm. <laughs> <laughs> In 1904, Mary's husband began work on a house for Dr. Heman Lincoln Chase and his wife, Margaret. Hartley, Mary's husband, and Margaret— having sex with Margaret. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Why are you going to ruin the story, Rose? Oh, is that what happened? 
You want me to read the next <laughs> sentence? Hartley, Mary's husband, and Margaret Chase eventually developed an extreme close relationship. <laughs> yeah, that's shocking since he's not having sex with well, his that's wife. That's why abstinence doesn't work. <laughs> this prompted Hartley to move out of his and Mary's house in 1909. Concerned about the effect that Hartley was having on their children, Mary filed for divorce in 1912. Imagine how well that went over. For divorce? I didn't know you could even divorce back then. At the time, this would be a very unusual and scandalous action, yeah. as I said. They'd- think she yeah. was the whore. Oh, of course, of course was she was. All her, fault. her husband was fighting for custody of custody of the boys as men quote owned everything back then. So like, you know, they Yeah, women she probably didn't had work. no chance. So back then they you know, they weren't allowed to yeah. work even though she was working, but she had stopped working because she was having all those medical issues. Yeah. But they everything was owned by the man. There was no like common well, common then, law. No, I mean he should get law. everything since she wasn't having sex with him. It's her fault. Well, yeah, it, it is her fault. It's her fucking yeah. uterus. Well, why did it be her fault? Yeah, she needs to have sex was. with her man and yeah. please him. Stand by Make your man. Obey. Slit his throat open. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not condoning that, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so their divorce proceedings were popular topic. Were a popular topic in the local newspapers to Mary's great embarrassment. Could you imagine? Oh that? my god. And, you know, it's like everybody's talking about it because the there's town's nothing else like going on. 200 people. Yeah. Hartley refused to pay child support even after he was ordered by the courts to do so. Mary, they did that back then too, Lori. Uh, Lord. <laughs> Why'd you just call me Lori? I have no idea. I'm going to start back over. <laughs> no idea. That was so weird. <laughs> I, was, I guess I was going to say Lordy. I don't know. Anyway, I have no idea. I'm just tired. I'm ready to go to bed. Okay, Lori. Mary had no choice but to return to working outside the home, but not to her previous career as an artist and interior designer. She was devastated about her marriage ending and couldn't find it in her heart to do any arts and crafts anymore. Oh. She had a very difficult time financially as a single mother. I can't even imagine back then how hard it was. In 1908, she accepted the position of a field secretary of the Massachusetts Women's Suffrage Association, organizing lectures, rallies, sermons, cheap meals, speaking tours to gather signatures for petitions and similar outreach efforts. This is what started her long career in public advocacy for women's rights. Oh, wow. Mary worked for the cause. I wasn't sure if this was going to go to, like, she murdered her husband. (laughs) Or where I was going to go. Uh, Definitely, definitely very twisted. (laughs) Mary's work for the cause of women's suffrage from 1910 to 1914. She worked for the cause for women's suffrage from 1910 to 1914. During this period, there was a revival of the women's suffrage movement, which had stagnated during the previous decade. In 1910, Mary's success in in Massachusetts led to the National American Women's Suffrage Association to aggressively recruit her for the position of corresponding secretary reporting to Dr. Anna Howard Shaw. At the time, the NAWSA, the National Women's Suffrage, okay, was, infe- <laughs> <laughs> was ineffective and divided by factional conflict, which many blamed on Dr. Shaw's leadership. So there's uh-huh. a lot of like disputed facts going on and people yeah. were like bucking it. Uh, Mary did not become active in the women's suffrage movement until her marriage began to break up. Later, she wrote, I went into suffrage work, as perhaps you know, because I needed an anesthetic at the time. And suffrage was the nearest thing at hand that was unconnected with my previous work. So she was like throwing herself into yeah, this. That's how she, I got into yeah. um, exercise. I didn't exercise at all before I went through my divorce. And then I started um playing I think I started running Christina mm-hmm. Christina like made me start running and then I started playing soccer yeah and now I love working out 
Yeah. I mean, I like when I'm working out like full force, n- nothing can stop me. Like, yeah. I'll be like, somebody's right. like, you want to meet? And I'm like, oh, I have to work out tonight. I can, <laughs> yeah, I can too, like yeah. squeeze in a workout or whatever. And <laughs> but I, then once you get to that, like <sighs> where something happens. Like, and you can't do it. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like getting back to that point. It's just like pulling teeth I know and making jewelry but by the time everyone hears us we'll be like five days into January and we'll be I'll already like be hot beach bods yeah I'll, yeah I'll be looking like svelte <laughs> okay so Mary's opinion on why women deserved the vote was simple her quote was our basic principles that governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed undeniably imply the right of women to direct representation by the vote since women are governed and women are people duh that's right, Mary. <laughs> Go, Mary. It's your birthday. Um, while she was part of the NAWSA in 1910, she had a part in Washington State granting women the right to vote, the first state to do so in 14 years. Oh, wow. Isn't Good that exciting? Her. Mary successfully resolved much of the internal conflict of the NAWSA within a few months while supporting Dr. Shaw. So she helped, like, fix it. There were so many problems with it, and she helped fix it. Many prominent... NAWSA members credited Mary with reuniting the NAWSA member and turning the organization around. Good for her. Yeah. Later, Mary became disillusioned with the NAWSA. That's not easy to say. (laughs) It's easier than World War II. Can you just say NASA? NASA, yeah. (laughs) After an unsuccessful attempt to reorganize to be more effective, she wanted to become more effective. What she saw was wasteful decisions and overly influenced by wealthy donors. She resigned her position in 1913. So in 1913, the courts granted Mary custody of her children and finalized a divorce from her husband. How many years was that? Uh, in 1909 is when he moved out. Jeez. So, That's yeah, a long sounds time. Sounds as long as my divorce was. Yeah, um, mine too. Now I can't find my place. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. So in that same year, Mary co-founded the Twilight Sleep Association. Do you know what that is, Rose? No, I don't. It advocated the use of anesthesia and morphine to ease the pain of childbirth. Oh. And and have a semi-conscious state during their deliveries. So before this, women were knocked out cold, and they would have to use forceps. So it it gives the woman the semi-conscious state during their deliveries. Statistics showed that twilight sleep reduced infant mortality and the risk of injury and infection due to the reduced use of forceps. She served as the acting president until 1914, then as vice president. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So this is like women didn't like really remember childbirth at this point, but they were still able to push and stuff like that. And so the they could the childbirth is more productive versus. You know, just using forceps to yank the baby out. I can't even imagine that. And oh, my God. Is there something about giving birth to your kid when you have, like, that final push? Or even when yeah. you're, like, yeah. my last one was a C-section. When they pull pull her out, there's just something there, you that, know, that, that, like. second, yeah. yeah. like, you, I don't know. That's really special. Like, I can and they, they wake up and that. they have a baby. Yeah. It's I mean, crazy. I, I, I imagine that's special, too, but. Yeah. I mean, it's still special. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, Mary's personal story of abstinence and lack of birth control education is what inspired her to fight for birth control. She became more involved in the birth control movement as she interacted with other women who argued that women should be allowed to control their fertility. Go, Mary! (laughs) Mary co-founded the National Birth Control League in 1915. She was like one thing after another, man. I'm like, I can barely clean my house. This woman's like in five (laughs) freaking, like founded five organizations at this point. I'm like, oh my God. can't even pour me a drink and with ladies. (laughs) Yeah, with three kids and raising them on her own. That's crazy, yeah. Oh my God, I feel like such a loser next to her. (laughs) 
So she co-founded the National Birth Control League in 1915 with Jesse Ashley and Clara Gruing Stillman. They advocated for abolishing the state laws prohibiting the distribution of contraceptives. I can't even imagine having contraceptives illegal. As a member of the Legislative Committee of the National Birth Control League in New York City, Mary focused on repealing the Comstock Act by lobbying New York's federal congressman. During her efforts to change the Comstock Act, Mary stumbled upon another birth control activist, Merit... Um, another birth control activist, Margaret Sanger. Sanger had left the country from 1914 to 1915 to avoid prosecution for writing The Woman Rebel, a radical newspaper that courts charged with being obscene and promoting riots. That's so funny. She's like, That's yeah. That's like a law? Oh, she was, talking about, she was talking about reproductive stuff. And so she got, they, they, they wrote it as being obscene. <laughs> During Sanger's absence, Mary brought the birth control movement to the attention of the media by lobbying for state legislators to remove birth control from obscenity laws. According to historians, Mary's success in the birth control movement led to a friction between her and Sanger because the two women differed in their ideas about how to approach birth control reform. The conflict was caused by Sanger's lobbying for doctors to receive the right to distribute birth control. Mary disagreed with Sanger's efforts because she thought that everyone should have access, not just doctors. She was way ahead of her time, wasn't she? (laughs) When the European War broke out in 1914, Mary joined the anti-war movement known as the Women's Peace Party, another organization. (laughs) It's crazy. I know. Her participation in various social reform groups gave her the opportunity to voice her beliefs and argue for political change, even though she couldn't exercise the right to vote as a woman. She was still fighting. Yeah, right. And she still couldn't do it. So in 1916, she served as a field secretary for the American Union Against Militarism, organizing meetings in several large cities. Mary worked to help reelect Woodrow Wilson because she believed, or he stated, that he would not declare war. So she was all for peace. Right, yeah. Um, So she helped to reelect him. It It led her to a respected job as an executive secretary for the League for Progressive Democracy. Democra- Why can't I say that word? Democracy. Democracy. Thank you. <laughs> I couldn't say it. I, I know. Like, Sometimes when you read it, it's like. <laughs> but after Wilson, but after Wilson did enter the United States into the war in 1917, yeah. and she was like, "Fuck this, I'm out." Boom. She left. She resigned. I bet she did. She's like, "You bastard." She should have known that. Wait, a politician? I know he didn't lied. follow up on his word. He lied. What? Mary? No. Let me I- read that again. <laughs> <laughs> No politicians lie. She next, are you ready for this? She next co-founded and was employed by the People's Council of America, a social peace movement. In 1915, Mary's name was all over the newspaper again. (laughs) What the hell, Mary? Her ex-husband, Hartley, his partner, Margaret Chase, and her husband, Dr. Chase, extended a public invitation to Mary to, as one newspaper put it, you ready? Yeah. Adopt the creed of harmonious love and form a quadrangle. quadriangle. Like sex? <laughs> With the three of them. <laughs> in the newspaper? They put it in the newspaper. They A formal invitation for her to have a... Her husband? Her husband and his and her ex-husband? partner and her husband put it out in the newspaper for her to draw, join a quadrangle. A qu- quadrangle? 
with the three of them. What the hell? So not a threesome, but a quadrangle. Why did they put it in the newspaper? Why didn't they just ask her? <laughs> I don't know. It was formal, Rose. It was a formal invitation. <laughs> they didn't want it to get lost so, in the mail. <laughs> so weird. I was reading this and I was like, Could what? you imagine? <laughs> That's like now like us going online and somebody being like, you know, posting I, like, I, I don't know, <laughs> on CNN. I read that and I was like, wait, what? 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 And I That's was like, so kind of like, I was tired at this point. I was like. Wait, why did I stop? <laughs> and I read it again. I was like, oh, shit. That's so this weird. This just took a turn. So Mary feared the negative effect that it, the unwelcome notoriety might have on the organization she was working with. Consider it, so She considered resigning from the Twilight Sleep Association. She didn't want to discredit all the work she had done by this freaking bizarre-ass yeah, shit that right. her husband was doing, her ex-husband. Oh, my God. He's probably like, they're in this... In this threesome, he probably keeps going, you know, Mary's really good at this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's like when my ex-husband told me, oh, well, you know, my ex-wife used to make me breakfast every morning. I was like, well, you better go back to her. <laughs> Looks like you need to give her a call. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Looks like she was dumb. Ain't happening here. Yeah, really. Um, Mary. Okay, so uh, Mary felt that it was time to talk to her boys about sexual education and was looking for accurate literature. Most of the sexual education publications at the time oh either God, contained, wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> contained inaccurate information or used the fear of shame tactics, shame tactics to dissuade the younger generation from having sex. Stop telling my story. <laughs> she felt as though sexual education literature should be included. Should in, oh my God! She felt that sexual education literature should include scientific correctness. Sex positivity and discussion of the emotional side of sexual relationships. Man, she is like way ahead of her time. I know what the Isn't hell. She? I mean, this is like what year is this? This was like nineteen seventeen. Good God. Therefore, she decided to write her own explanation using the research and interviews with doctors, using research and interviews with doctors. In 1915, so it was 1915, Mary wrote a sex education pamphlet, which prompted a lot of public attention and media exposure. The pamphlet was called The Sex Side of Life. She passed the writing on to her friends with adolescent children. In 1918, it was published in a medical review of reviews and later and a year later, it was published as a pamphlet. The pamphlet was 24 pages long and covered controversial topics including masturbation, sexually transmitted diseases, prostitution, and support for the use of, of birth control. Her views were considered radical for this time because she was not promoting abstinence. She was being real. I'm, yeah, like, I'm telling you, she she's just like smart. 100 years ahead Right. Time. That's crazy. In 1918, she became the National Birth Control League Executive Secretary and started a campaign to make birth control information legal, giving lectures and lobbying at state legislative le, straight state legislatures to change the laws. <laughs> I'm I'm really thirsty. <laughs> I'm running out of water. When the lobbying failed to produce a bill in the New York legisl- legislature, she, I don't know why I can't say that word today. She resigned as executive secretary. The National Birth Control League dismantled and Mary founded a new organization. Of course. <laughs> the Voluntary Parenthood League, which focused on repealing anti-birth control information laws at the federal level. So do you know what birth control was back then? Um. No, I really don't. I it, they, 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 You know, it's funny because it, it didn't talk about it. I didn't read her pamphlet. I, I guess I should have. What? I didn't read the pamphlet. Damn it, Lynn. How are we supposed to know what 
how to prevent babies. I think what birth control would have been back then. I'm sure there was pill. No, I'm sure it was pills. You think so? What else would birth control be back then? It's I not like know. they had condoms back then. I don't know. You think they had pills? Yeah, there's probably some sort of pill. I mean, the IUD was. I don't think it was available this early. No. Let's see. I'm gonna look, Rose. I'm gonna look right now. Please do. What birth control, if I can spell, was used in 1918? Oh, a timeline of of contraception. Okay, there we go. Oh, in 384 to 322 BC. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need to go that far back. (laughs) I'm gonna go. I'm gonna advance forward a little bit. Um, Oh, they talk about in 1914. In March, in her radical journal, The Woman Rebel, Margaret Sanger instructs women on times when it would be wise for women to avoid pregnancy, such as the case of illness or poverty. She does not give any instructions regarding specific methods or contraception, but the New York Postmaster banned the journal under the Comstock Law. So that was... I'll talk about that more later. She used, she coins the term birth control, they put in quotes, and dares to use the phrase in the July... In the June 1914 issue of The Woman Rebel. In... March of 1915, the National Birth Control League, um, uh, it's International for Planned Parenthood. Uh, Margaret Sanger and Catherine McCormick first meet at the Sanger's birth. and during friendship, sympathizing with Sanger movement. They just talk about birth control being used. They don't say what birth control. It says, in 1923, Margaret Sanger successfully opens the first legal birth control clinic in the U.S. with the stated intent of only using contraceptives for medical purposes, such as preventative life, prevent prevention of life-threatening pregnancies in accordance with the Crane decision. I don't know what that is. Oh, then they came up with the rhythm method. Oh, that's a fucking stupid thing, too. In the 1900s was when condoms were made. Really? Well, in 1900s. Yeah, I mean, that could go well, all the way to 1999. No, all the way back to ancient Egypt. What were they made out of? A linen sheath was used to protect the penis from insect. <laughs> insects. <laughs> insects? Like the, con- the concept eventually evolved until people were using animal parts like goat bladders. Oh, that makes sense. And by the early 1900s, men were using condoms made from vulcanized rubber. So early 1900s. 1906, the first spermicidal jelly was developed. In, the, in 1909, the first interuterine device was introduced. You in know, 19 what year? One of my residents developed the first female condom. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. The What's it called? The, I don't know. I forget the name of it. But yeah, she she made that. Oh, wow. That's cool. Um, yeah. So they had condoms back then, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that they made them out of animal parts. Like, I feel like intestine and that kind of thing. That's what we use. You don't use sheep bladder for yours? No. No, no. I don't use them. Thank you. No. <laughs> but it would make sense. You think about the skin like on a sausage, right? <laughs> but I feel like it would break pretty easily. Oh, yeah. Right? That thin... All right, birth control methods and devices in the 1910s included spermicides, douches, and oh, the early cell douches. I was just reading about that. Early diaphragm called the Dutch pessary and eat ergot pills, which induced abortions. Ugh. Okay. I really have it made. So Mary was <laughs> proud of her work on sexual education and was determined to win her fight. Beginning in 1919, Mary focused on a straight repeal of the birth control provision, provisions of the Comstock Act in the federal level rather than state-by-state efforts. She lobbied Congress to simply remove the words prevention of contraception from the federal obscenity statutes. So basically, you know, like you couldn't talk about contraceptive or anything like that. It was considered obscene. Right. But she's like, this is a a normal thing we need to talk about. So she repeatedly lobbied for individual senators in person for a year before she found one willing to sponsor the bill, Senator H. Heisler Ball. His name's Ball. 
a former practicing <laughs> physician. However, he never followed through and introduced the bill. Of course he didn't because he's a politician and he's a man. In 1921, she changed her approach and decided to work directly with the postmaster general, whose responsibility it was to enforce the laws banning distribution of birth control information throughout the mail, although practice was not enforced. So if it, unless it was like an open postcard or pamphlet and somebody happened to read it and then turn it in, nobody was doing anything about it. Yeah. So at one point she just started, I don't even remember if I talk about this in here, but she just started like putting it in sealed envelopes. Oh, okay. And like they weren't sealing them because it was just too much work to seal them. Yeah. So they would like leave them open and then somebody would open it and then like then she would get in trouble. But Postmaster General William Hayes seemed sympathetic but resigned before taking any action. Of course he did. (laughs) His replacement, Dr. Hubert Work was adamantly opposed to birth control information. Of course he was. (laughs) Earlier stating that his opinions on birth control could be summarized as sterilize all boys and girls who are unfit to become parents and then let nature take its course unhindered. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's really sad that there's still people like that now. He didn't want to wear a sheet bladder. No. Mary returned to lobby in Congress in 1922. She spoke out publicly, pointing out that private opinion, this is funny, the private opinion of members of Congress must be in favor of birth control since the average number of children of a member of Congress was 2.7. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> it weird. It wasn't like 6.8. They're obviously 2. doing yeah. something. Yes, exactly. I love how she did that. She continued to have difficulty finding sponsors for the bill, but succeeded in 1923 when Senator Albert B. Cummings introduced the straight repeal bill bill to the Senate. <laughs> the peel. The bill. <laughs> However, the bill made no further progress during this session since Cumming, Cummins. What? Cumming? Since Cummins was unable to succeed in getting the rest of the Senate to vote due to the mass absenteeism when it came up for a vote. I'm like, oh, my yeah, God, this poor woman. She's like beating a dead horse. I, I mean, it, but, but good for her for her persistence. In the next session of Congress, Congress, Representative William N. Vale sponsored the bill in the House of Representatives. However, it was also stalled continually and never came to a vote. Of course. In addition, Mary Sanger and her organization lobbied in favor of a version of the bill that would allow birth control information to doctors only and lobbied against the straight repeal bill. I think it's. I mean, I think it's understandable that you want a doctor involved in choosing a birth control, yeah. but you should have all the information that you want. Right. Like exactly. she was like they were saying. She's basically saying that only doctors could have the information. In 1925, Mary gave up on passing the straight repeal bill and retired from her position Aww. in the Voluntary Parenthood no, League. Mary. In 1926, Mary published birth control laws. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we keep them, change them, or abolish them? A book that described the state and federal laws surrounding birth control and described Mary's arguments to change those laws. In 1928, she was indicted under the Comstock Laws for distributing her pamphlet. H.L. Menkaken observed the proceedings. He had briefly praised Mary's book in the May 1926 issue of the American Mercury and took a sympathetic interest in her later legal troubles. And he was quoted as saying, There is, of course, nothing indecent in that pamphlet. On the contrary, it is notably prudent and clean. The author wrote it for the instruction of her own young sons, and its superiority to most other such literature was so apparent that it was reprinted at length in a medical journal and circulated in great numbers by clergymen, YMCA secretaries, social workers, and other such chemically pure persons. 
This went on for four and a half years. Then Miss Danette, who engaged in birth control propaganda, propaganda, began annoying the wowsayers of the U.S. Post Office by exposing their gross stupidity and disingenuousness in the enforcement of the Comstock Act. And, and they retorted by barring her pamphlet from the mails. No plainer case of the use of idiotic law to punish an inconvenient critic could be imagined. So that was pretty nice that a man said that. Yeah, right. In 1929, Mary was arrested for her work with the Sexual Education, Women's Rights, and Birth Control. Many people felt that her work was obscene and should be, in, and she should be in jail or steeply fined. Mary stayed, Mary stayed defiant, proclaiming she would pay no fine, however small it may be. She was quoted as saying, if a few federal officials want to use their power to penalize me for my work for the young people of this country, they must bear the shame of a jail sentence. It's a government which is disgraced, not I. Oh. Go, girl. Go, Mary. Mary. Go, Mary. Go, 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 Mary. <laughs> <laughs> After four years of being in circulation, the post office informed Mary that the pamphlet was obscene and therefore it was banned from being mailed under the Comstock Act. She continued to mail out her pamphlet. She said, fuck you. And the post office ignored her inquiries. And the post office ignored her inquiries of what parts of the pamphlet were obscene. Mary's trial was highly publicized. Circulation of her pamphlet, The Sex Side of Life, increased after the original ruling was reversed. Her trial led more individuals to question the validity of obscene obscenity laws, in particular the Comstock Act. United States versus Dennett prompted people to a more thoroughly examined materials labeled obscene, left courts questioning censorship by the post office, and emphasized that not all topics related to sex were socially offensive. Yeah. Look at that. That's right. Eventually, a jury was seated by the prosecution, and Miss Dennett was quickly convicted and Judge Burroughs fined her $300. The jury was composed entirely of middle-aged family men. Of course. The American Civil Liberties Union supported and sponsored Mary, maintaining that her pamphlet was not obscene. In fact, it was an important educational tool for youth. Six months after the Circuit Court of Appeals set aside the verdict, deciding that the pamphlet was so obviously not obscene, that no case was made for submission to the jury and and ordered Miss Danette released from her bond. Oh, good. Yeah. Mary wrote the book, Who's Obscene? <laughs> in 1930, <laughs> describing her account of the trial. And in 1931, she wrote The Sex Education of Children, a book for parents. After retiring and moving with her son to Woodside, New York, during the middle of the 1930s, Mary continued to participate in social reform groups. From 1941 to 1944, Mary helped establish and worked as the chair of the World Federalist, an organization in Woodside that prom promoted world peace. In 1945, she moved to upstate New York to live in a nursing home, and she died on 25 July 1947 at the age of 75. Oh, wow. That she woman did a lot. was a beast. No shit. My God. It was like, and in 1918, she resigned from this position. And in 1919, she started a new organization. <laughs> in 1920, she resigned. In 1921, she started a new organization. In 1922, I'm like, oh, my God. I know. It's crazy. She is nuts. She's a beast. And she's like, oh, I'm not going to do it anymore. And then she's like, yeah, I am. Yeah, I know. Well, and you know what I'd love to? And it's sad because they don't. They didn't really talk about her getting back into her um, arts and crafts 
And I'm curious if she ever got back into that at any oh, point. Because yeah. um, she was seen like she's like really good, at, yeah. really good at good at it, good at it. But um, I would. I'm curious too. She probably didn't have time. Really curious as to um, what her what her sons did. I feel like. Yeah, like all they or have one to of be... them have to be. I mean, if they had a fourth of her energy, right? They had to do something. They're probably president. No, none of our presidents that we've had since we've been alive. No, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. But I mean, don't you think that like when did she die? What year was it? Nineteen forty-seven. Yeah, we weren't alive then. No, but I'm saying, I mean, but her were, sons. Like so her sons were born. Dinosaur. Like her sons would be. Her sons were born. I, I, my computer's trying. They were born in like nineteen ten, weren't they? Mm-mm. Mm. Yeah. No, it was forty. So she, she, her husband left in nineteen oh nine. Oh, it was like nineteen thirteen. She won custody. So yes, yeah, so they were yeah. born in. Yeah, like before nineteen oh nine. Yeah, so they yeah. They're old. So they're they were dead. like my great. They were like my grandmother's age. Yeah, but I, I'm just curious to see if they would have done anything as. Because, I mean, they were, like, when she died at age 75, they were, like, in the prime of their life. Yeah, right. Right? And so I feel like, I don't know, just, oh, my God, the amount of drive and independence. No kidding. Good God. Independence and, ugh, so She was feisty like that since she was little. Yeah. Yeah. When she told her, because, like, at the beginning of the story, it's kind of like, and because I did two stories this week, I totally forgot where this one was going at the beginning. I'm like, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then when when it said when I read that sentence about her being feisty, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. And then it went into the, but the whole birth control thing I think is so interesting. Yeah, it is because I never knew. I mean, I never even thought about like what birth control did they have in early 1900s. Well, and also, are we still here? That's the thing. Yeah, Lynn. are we still that's here? When you this were is... reading it, I'm like, well, we haven't really come that far from I this. I know. We we started to come we're far from it, and the then we're backpedaling. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, are you so kidding disgusting. me? I mean, we have the information. That's not illegal anymore. But they're trying to take away other rights, other, yeah. you know, rights to determine, you know, determine the rights of our own body and the oh things we God. do with our bodies. And I mean, <laughs> when you hear about people like her fighting and fighting, she has to be turning in her grave right now. I'm sure. She has to be like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah. I fought for all this for what? Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Like I mean, over 100 years ago? Yeah. It's like if, if I ever to eat like... Um, you know, SpaghettiOs. My grandmother would roll in her grave in a New York second. She'd be like, what? Oh my God, I loved SpaghettiOs when I was a kid. Yeah, we weren't allowed to have that stuff, girl. Mm-mm. Really? No, not at all. Oh, I loved it. No, but yeah. That's okay. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back. Be back. Okay, guys, we're back. We're back. We're better than ever. Better than ever. And guess what? Fabio shared our story so of our big fat calzone. <laughs> it's in my big fat belly. <laughs> I know. It was so good. Oh, my God. It was, I mean, we literally. Didn't eat the whole thing. We ate half. I don't even think we ate half. Did we? Maybe about maybe, half? Maybe. Yeah, maybe it was a little, a little, little teeny less, less than, than half. half. But I'm telling you, it was good. that large calzone would feed a family of four. And we ate it cold. <laughs> we ate it ice cold, and it was <laughs> and still it was so amazing. Good, yeah. <laughs> even the sauce cold was good. I do like their sauce because it's thin. That's what my Nana sauce used to be, is thin. Yeah, right. Like, I don't like really thick, like, That's spaghetti not what sauce. You told me. Spaghetti oh, sauce okay. rose. <laughs> Pervert. I don't like really thick spaghetti sauce. I like it thinner. And so it like coats the pasta. I don't like it thick. I mean, no, thick in, as in if you had, like, I don't really typically put meat in my spaghetti sauce unless I cook meatballs in it. Oh but if you take and put, like, if you had a whole bunch, like, if you had, like, a, um, what's that thing called when you when you add the, the meat? It's called, um, oh, my God, there's a name for it. 
the spaghetti sauce with all the meat in it. Oh, I forget what it's called. But anyway, something like that is thick. Yeah, because the meat thickens it up. Yeah. But like my sauce, I like it like like what we had today, that yeah. thinner. Yeah, it was good. That's how my nanny used to make it. And it's it was real kind sauce. of light. Like, it's not out of a jar. Like there's like vodka in there or something. No, it's not. It's just it's just like a, it's no, it's not vodka or cream. Why is it like a lighter color? Just the way they cook it. They don't thicken it up. They probably don't put a lot of paste in it, maybe. Well, maybe. I don't know. I'm not a cooker. <laughs> I'm not a baker. I'm just a belly aker. <laughs> I'm not a cooker. I'm just a hooker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're getting a little punchy, guys. We've been here for four hours. Yeah. Four and, four, I, what I've, time did you get here? 3.30? 3.30. Yeah, we've been here for, for four hours. Yeah. It's 7.30. Yeah, I've I've had a day of unproductiveness. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so tell me about your lady, Rose. All right, let's, tell me, Rose. Let's tell do me it. about your girl. All right, tell me, Rose. <laughs> Are you ready? Shut up, Rose. <laughs> ready, set, go, go, go. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna lock Lynn out of the room while I do this. <laughs> I'll let her back Bye. in at the end. Bye. See you later. <laughs> okay. Mary Mallon immigrated to the United States from Cookstown, Ireland in 1883 at the age of four to live with her aunt and uncle in New York City. Like many single women, she worked as a domestic servant <laughs> and was usually a cook for affluent families. What are you doing? I was making faces at you. Oh, my God. I am going to lock her I out. I told you I'm getting tired. I know. Uh, I, I made her drinks very light. I don't even feel buzz. I just feel like silly I know. and tired. I, I haven't felt a buzz at all. <laughs> I don't at all either. Not I like think. last week when I swear I got drunk off like two. What did you make? Lemon drop oh, martinis? Lemon drop martinis, yeah. Apparently these, martinis hit me hard. These are very, <laughs> yeah, These are that's what she said. These are very weak. And I, I'm just giddy because I'm tired and I punchy. Know, and I didn't sleep well last night and all that fun stuff. So anyway, go ahead. Sorry. I won't make faces at you anymore. <laughs> I'm going to put a wall up between us. So during the summer of 1906, New York banker Charles Henry Warren wanted to take his family on vacation. Aww. So he rented a summer home in Oyster Bay, Long Island, and hired Mary to be their cook for the summer. Apparently she was... <gasps> Her like, name was Mary? Yeah. So I know, I know. I thought oh. that halfway through your thing. What in the But world? I had already um, interrupted you a lot, so I didn't want to interrupt <laughs> <again>. <laughs> So in August, one of the daughters comes down with typhoid fever. Hmm. And then the mom, <gasps> and then two of the maids, uh, followed by the gardener and another daughter. A total of six out of the 11 people mm. in the house came down with typhoid. So typhoid, everyone kind of knew that typhoid was spread through water and food. Uh-huh. And the owners of the house, the Warrens, thought it was something at the vacation house, like the water or something. Oh, my gosh. And so they hired George Soper who was a civil engineer with experience in typhoid fever outbreaks and so to kind of investigate what was going on because mm-hmm. they were rich. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. That's, that's true. They're like, oh, people got sick. Let's. Yeah. the poor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yet there's people in our country in Flint that still don't have drinking yeah, right, water. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And this was what year? <laughs> yeah. 1906. <laughs> yeah. It's just about the money. The people that don't exactly. have drinking water in Flint are poor. That's why they yeah. don't have drinking water. Exactly. So um, George becomes very interested in the cook because... He knew that typhoid was spread through food and water. And Mm so Mary, at this point, had already left the Warren house about three weeks after the outbreak. Mm -hmm. And so George kind of began to research her employment history and find out more about her. So Mary just continues to work in different houses. And the same thing keeps happening. Mary, Mary, why you bugging? (laughs) 
Mary, Mary, why lock you cooking? You in the bathroom. <laughs> Um, so it same thing happens in every house she's cooking in. Oh my god! People, everyone in the house becomes ill with typhoid, and Mary remains healthy, and then she moves on to the next house. Oh my god! So George continues to investigate, and he traces her employment history all the way back to 1900, and he finds typhoid outbreaks follow her from job to job. Is she using birth control? 1900. <laughs> I don't. It doesn't sound like she's sleeping with anyone. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So from 1900 to 1907, he found out that Mary had worked at seven jobs in which 22 people had become ill. Oh, my God. And one little girl died. I wonder how he researched it so well back then. Google. Oh, okay. No, back then I think it was called Ask Jeeves, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Ask Jeeves. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On his handheld device. Literally. Ask Jeeves. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) For this guy. For this guy. That's probably what he did. Yeah. yeah. He said Jeeves. He went to each house and asked Jeeves. Find out the information. Exactly. Exactly. God, we're fucking funny. (laughs) (laughs) So finally he had enough evidence that he was satisfied that this was much more than a coincidence. Mm. But he really needed to get stool and blood samples from Mary to prove to everyone that she was like a healthy carrier, that she was the one spreading this. So, oh, so he thought she had it? He thought she, so there were things called healthy carriers, which we'll get into, and he thought she was one. And not many people knew about this because this is kind of at the beginning. And, and Okay. So he, but he was a scientist, so he kind of knew that. Oh, he knew that makes what, sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was kind of investigating. He in like, science. He did believe in science, yeah. That's pretty important. Yeah, George was smart. But he couldn't find Mary. It's not like he could just, like, go on Facebook and be Google like, her. Mary yeah. Slide in her DMs. <laughs> yeah, slide into her DMs. <laughs> he slid into Lynn's DMs, but he, he couldn't did. find he Mary. He did. Another one. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so in March of 1907, there's another outbreak of typhoid um, at a house on Park Avenue. So she worked for all these wealthy people. Oh, my gosh. And George finds her there working in the kitchen. And he confronts her and he tells her, like, what he has discovered, that he thinks she's a carrier and that he needs to get these samples from her. And she flips out and she, like, chases him out of the kitchen with a large carving fork. (laughs) And she's like, get the fuck away from me. No, I mean, I I guess, I mean, you know, she's probably scared. Right. She's probably like, what are you talking about? That That's not possible. But you know the mind, it had to cross her mind at some point at at this time. I mean, come on. But maybe not, like. I mean, she wasn't educated. She didn't know. I don't know. You go everywhere and people get sick. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe she didn't. I don't know. I just feel like. Yeah. I mean, you know, I it, it is hard to say. I don't know if she was just really like. Just ignorant. ignorant. Or also, too, that because the communications weren't so great, like she may not have known everybody got sick after she left. Oh, that's true. You yeah. know. Yeah. So she like runs away and hides and George calls the police on her and they come to arrest her and sister did not go quietly she it took five officers to detain her oh my god and one had to sit on her in the ambulance (laughs) yeah she was crazy and he um, the one that had to sit on her in the ambulance compared it to being in a cage with an angry lion (laughs) so they take her to Willard Parker Hospital in New York and find the typhoid bacteria in her stool Mm. And so they transfer her to an isolated cottage on North Brother Island, which is part of, like, the hospital. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess they had cottage, isolated cottages for people with typhoid and other diseases. Where this is in New York? Yeah. So there's—is it in the city? 
Yeah. Because there's an there's an island that used to be. Oh, it's so funny that you say this. So there's an island between, I don't remember what borough it is, and Manhattan. And it's an island. I'm like, what is that? Because I was looking at a map of, of New York for some yeah. reason. And there's this island, and it's called something hospital island oh really yeah and it used to be it used to be a big hospital and then but now it's it's like they've up you know like totally renovated it yeah right stuff but it's like one bridge going in and out and like there was a gate security gate there and everything i wonder if that was what it was i wonder this was called north brother island but obviously it was near the east river near the bronx i'll have to look it up yeah because i definitely was like what is that island i never you know never noticed it before so at this point, attention. I don't really think that they knew what to do with her because she was the first one, the first like healthy carrier. And not much was known at that point. But they did think that like healthy carriers were more dangerous than those who were sick because you couldn't tell that they were sick. So they were just out there spreading disease. Oh, yeah. Ooh. And what do you do, you know? Yeah. Like nobody knew to avoid them. But to... Many people, they were like locking up a healthy person because many people didn't understand it. Okay, so it's not the island that I thought it was. Sorry to interrupt you. North Brother Island is between the Bronx and Rikers. Rikers is where the prison is. Okay. So it's like, but let me show you the picture when I... When I um, look at this picture, I guess this is of the... Oh, wow. creepy? Oh, that is creepy. It looks like... So the picture, if you Google North Brother Island... A picture will come up like I, I clicked on Google Maps and a picture came up and it's just like old abandoned, like really creepy looking building. Very creepy. There was a old hospital. I think it was like a hospital or something like that that we used to go to in Hawaii that was like that. And we'd go like late at night when we were drunk and oh, walk no. around it. I Gross. never, I would never go in. Everybody would go in, and I'd be like, "I'm gonna sit in the car." <laughs> oh my god, no way! That well, kind of shit scared me. We went to, um, we went to Alcatraz. When we went to um, San Francisco, mm. I've always wanted to go there. Oh my god! And we went, and we went later in the afternoon, and it started becoming dusk as we were getting the tour, and we were the last tour of the day, yeah. and we were in the hospital ward oh. when it was getting dusk, and it was so creepy. Like I was like, "Let's get out of here." And they were like, okay, there's only, there's like two or three more shuttles going back yeah, and forth. Right. You could stay as long as you want once the tour finished, but you, you know, there's only two or three more. We were like, let's get on the shuttle. All of us were like, wanted to get, after we went through the hospital at dusk, all of us wanted to get oh off that god. island. It I was chicken so, skin just thinking about that. We were all like, well, it was so it's weird. So I'm, like, get, I'm getting off this island. It was creepy. I did not want to be there after dark. It was very creepy. All right, I'm going to go, but I'm going to go in the morning. <laughs> yeah, definitely go, don't go at dusk because it was freak. it was very scary. Just the old buildings, like. They're just creepy. No, Something creepy nope. about them. Uh, it was freaking me out. So everyone was kind of like, uh, like, should you be holding a healthy person like that captive, you know? Yeah, and Mel- Mary also obviously thought that. And so she decided to sue them in 1909. Girls, I ain't messing around. She's suing the health department. So um, during her confinement, they were taking stool samples from her, from her once a week. And the sample- samples were coming back. Um, sometimes they'd come back positive. Sometimes they'd come back negative. Mm. And I guess that's just how her body worked. I don't It's kind of weird. But most of them were positive. That's weird. And the year preceding the trial, Mary sent her stool off to a private lab and her samples all tested negative there. What? Which is weird. Like, who's lying? You know what I mean? <laughs> Somebody's obviously lying. Yeah, somebody is. Or is there is there some, like, rhyme or reason for why it shows up other t- sometimes and not but others? But no, I mean, every single s- stool sample that she sent off came back negative. 
that's kind of weird. Yeah, I don't believe that. Oh my god, Rose, oh, you gotta I, look. You gotta look at this island. Either she was crazy, she was being honest, or the health department was being not honest. Yeah, who knows? So Mary like really didn't understand a lot about typhoid, and no one tried to like explain it to her. They just let her like live in ignorance. And it's kind of like COVID in that not everyone had a bad case. You know what I mean? Like some people would get it and they just have like cold symptoms. Right. And other people would get it and like die, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's just I guess like. dependent on. Yeah. yeah. So everyone knew that it could be spread by water and food, but n- not a lot of people knew that it was spread by their infected stool and from not washing their hands. Yeah, when she was a cook, that's some nasty right. stuff. She was not and washing her hands. And nobody was washing their hands back then. I mean, you know, that that wasn't really a thing. That freaks me out. Sorry. So the judge ruled in favor of the health officials, and Mary, who was now knowing, known as Typhoid Mary, mm-hmm. was taken back to her cottage on North Brother Island, and she like pretty much like, okay, I'm never going to be released. That's it. You know, but in February of 1910, like a year later, a new health commissioner decided that Mary could go free as long as she agreed to never work as a cook again. Yeah. And she was so happy. So she agreed to it. She was like, I'll never work as a cook again. That's fine. Just please release me. And some people think that Mary never intended to follow the rules. They think that she was malicious and wanted to make people sick. Mm. I think she just was uneducated and she needed money. And so she worked as like a servant for a while and then she wasn't making as much money. So she went back to working as a cook. And so she worked in like laundry, laundry, I get it says laundries, but I guess it's like laundry mats or wherever they wash clothes and um, some other jobs, but they didn't pay as much. So she went back to being a cook. And in January of 1915, nearly five years after her release, the Sloan Maternity Hospital in Manhattan suffered a typhoid fever outbreak. Oh, no. 25 people became ill, and two of them died. Soon, evidence pointed to a recently hired cook, Mary Brown. Oh, no. You know who Mary. Ma- Mary Brown was? She didn't even change her first name. Mary. What are we going to do with her, Rose? This time, the public was pissed. Oh, I'd be livid. <laughs> Mary, and it's a maternity hospital of all places. Oh my God. Mary knew that she was a carrier and she chose to oh, break no. the law and infect all of those people by working as a cook. Hmm. Even if she didn't believe it, they believe that she willingly and knowingly caused pain and death to her victims. And because she had changed her name, people were even more convinced that she knew what she was doing. So Mary was sent back to North Brother Island to live in the same isolated cottage. And she was, she lived there for 23 years, isolated. Are you listening to me? Or are you? I am. I'm like, what's that noise? What are you looking at? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm like, I went down a rabbit hole with this I know. North Brother Island. I can't stop looking Pay at attention. it. Pay attention. And I, no, I am listening. But I know I am definitely paying attention. But so she's not. You have to no. You have to look at this North Brother. It's freaking creepy. But it's owned by. It's run by the National Park Service now. So North and South Brother Island are both like you can visit them as a national park. Oh really? Or a state park? I can't remember Does which it one. Say it's anything in. about her living there? Um, it just talks about the dark history of it. There's a podcast called The Bowery Bro- Boys, and it talk. It's a 
And so I looked them up and they're a their podcast is the tides of American history lead through the seats, the streets of New York from the huddled masses of Ellis Island to the sleazy theaters of 1970s Times Square, the elevated railroad, the underground railroad, Hamilton. Oh, Hamilton. that sounds interesting. Yeah. And so they in episode 366, they talk about North Brother Island. Oh. So I'm like, I'm like pulling it up to <laughs> listen to it tomorrow. I'm like, oh, I really want to listen to that. Yeah, Lynn hasn't been listening to me at all. Yeah, I totally have. No, you, you said haven't. she went to work at the maternity hospital. That's all I said. This and you whole said time. that she changed her last name. She didn't even change her first name. And then mm-hmm. you said, "Are that's you listening I, to me?" That's what I just said in the last. No, but I knew what you said before that. What else she... did I say? Tell me the whole thing. Okay, read, read so it back. you said <laughs> no, that she was ordered not to work around food, <laughs> and they would release her on that. And you said that you don't think she listened, and or she took it seriously, or maybe she was trying to get people sick, okay. and then she went to work at okay, a hospital. Okay, okay, okay. Thank you very much. Don't fucking doubt me. <laughs> I was listening. I was just like, oh, my God. When I saw this, I really want to listen to it. So um, the exact exact life she led on the island is unclear, but is it is known that she helped around the tuberculosis hospital, gaining the title nurse in 1922 and then hospital helper sometime later. In 1925, Mary began to help in the hospital's lab. What? Putting, tuber- t- putting typhoid in people's blood? <laughs> yeah, right. In December of 1932, Mary suffered a large stroke that left her paralyzed. Oh, no. She was then transferred from her cottage to a bed in the children's ward of the hospital on the island, where she stayed until her death six years later on November 11th, 1938. Which is really weird. Like, why did they send her to the children's hospital? That is weird. And why is there a children's hospital on the on the island? What's what's happening there? There was like this island was used for smallpox too. Oh, oh my god! Did they just make the children live? Oh my god, that's sad. Well, it was probably they're tr- quarantining them there. No, yeah. it was easier to keep them from moving, um, like you know, getting out in general population. Yeah, but it's. That's this so island sad. is fucking creepy. Like, I'm ready to go there. Like, there's so many things I want to go do now. This like, <laughs> I want to go there. Like, I literally want to go there. When you see an aerial of the island, when you Google it, like, I want you to do it when you get home tonight, and you, like, zoom in on it, it is creepy. Really? There's, like, two incinerator, like, those big chimneys that they used to incinerate things. Oh, no. Yeah. They probably threw people no, thanks. And there. the dock from the aerial view is all, like, freaking like the docks all like broken and nasty look at this oh wow it's so Ooh, that crazy looks creepy. it totally does i totally want to go so typhoid mary became so popular because she was the first known healthy care one of the first known healthy carriers but she wasn't the only healthy carrier that really sucks though you feel totally fine but you have to yeah right that would be so that stressful sucks yeah. There was an estimated 3,000 to 4,500 cases of typhoid fever in New York City, and it was estimated that about 3% of those had who had typhoid fever became <laughs> carriers. Typhoid. Typhoid. My, my, no, it's, I've it's, been talking for a it's, long it's time. It's literally our, our jammy time. It is quite <laughs> literally our jammy time. So by the time Mary died, there were over 400 other healthy carriers. Oh, my gosh. And Mary was not the deadliest. 47 illnesses and three deaths were attributed to Mary, while Tony LaBella, who was another healthy carrier, caused 122 illnesses <gasps> oh and five deaths. Where was he? Where was he? In New York? I think too? in New York, yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's like densely populated areas. Yeah, right. Especially back then. Nobody freaking... And like... Tony was only isolated for two weeks before being released. Oh, my God. But, you know, I... She probably followed the rules and didn't cook for anyone. Yeah. Like, if Mary had done that, she would have been free. Yeah. If she would have just found another job and not cooked for anyone, yeah. she, they would have, she, she would have been, been like okay. Brilliant yeah. or something. 
But that was her only, probably her only trade. Like she couldn't. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's one of those things where you're like, uh. so um, she was also not the only healthy carrier who, bro- who broke the health officials' rules after being told that she was a carrier. Mm. Alphonse Cotils, who owned a restaurant and bakery, was told by the health department not to prepare food for other people because he was a carrier. But health officials found him back at work, and they agreed to let him go free when he promised not to work in the kitchen anymore. So they didn't, like, isolate him. That's crazy. It's just so weird. But he probably didn't—like, they gave her that opportunity. He probably listened, right. But And he listened. Yeah. She didn't. So with over 400 other healthy carriers, why is Mary remembered as Typhoid Mary? Why is she the only healthy carrier isolated for life? Because of who she was. She was a poor Irish woman. She was a domestic servant. She didn't have a husband or family. She had a temper, which women weren't allowed to have. She was Irish. She's supposed to have a temper. And she was uneducated and didn't believe what they were saying was true. She was punished for something she had no control of because she was poor, a poor, uneducated woman. And because of that, she will forever be known as Typhoid Mary. That's so sad. And because she didn't listen. You know, it's funny when you <laughs> but, she didn't listen. Yeah. But when you said you were doing on Typhoid Mary, I'm like, I really am excited because I know ne- I obviously heard of her. Yeah. But, but you I didn't never know knew the story her. of yeah. her. So I was kind of excited about you doing it because I was like, it's. it's- so my um, friend Becky, who's like my childhood friend from Hawaii, she grew up next door to me. And still lives there next to my brother. That's funny. Um, we were talking, you know, like a week or so ago, and she was like, "Oh, telling me people I should I should do because she listens mm-hmm. and she really likes the podcast." Um, so she said, "You should do Typhoid Mary," and I was like, "Oh, that's a good one." That is, and I'm I was so glad I was you did it. in that like place where I was had started on someone, and I was like, "Oh, I don't really like this person. Like, it's not interesting enough." And so I was like, "Oh, that's a good one." Like. Yeah. And so I thought it was good. I, I thought it was very no, interesting. It's so interesting because, like I said, I've heard of her, but I never knew the story. Yeah. Um, John had given me one to do, and I'd started working on it. And, you know, we had to write two this week. So that's a lot of pressure, as you know. And so I was like, he gave me one, and I liked it. She's really cool. <laughs> I can't even remember what she did now. But I was like looking into her, and there was so much information. And I said, I have to do her on a week Yeah, I'm only doing one. Because it's just, there was so much information. I really wanted to do a deep thought, deep dive. Yeah. But I'm like, I couldn't. That's what it is. It's like there's either, like, a too much information or, or not, not enough. Right. And so the so my first the episode from last week, um, it was a minimal amount of information, but it was enough to do a story. But this this week, it was a, it was a good story, a long story, a lot yeah. of background information about her and stuff like that. And I loved it. But yeah, the the one he gave me, I forget who it was now, but I definitely want to do her. But it was um, we'll do her next because I'm going to do a long one next. Yeah, I'll, I'll since yeah. we have a couple weeks. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yes, I, I would like to get an episode ahead over this next couple weeks. But I'm also taking the courses on the social media. Yeah, so. I'm going on a trip. So yeah. Well, the, <laughs> the social media course, I'm going to look into it and see if I, I would would be really cool. So I love listening to podcasts while I'm driving. I love it. Oh, if you can do it online. Fly, yeah. If I could, if it's just a, but I feel like if it's a social media course, it's going to be very hands-on. It's through LinkedIn learning. And sometimes you just sit there and listen to somebody talk. I know. So I have to look at the course yeah. and see it because if I could just listen to it while I'm driving. Yeah, that would be nice. But we'll see. I don't know. But, I mean, I could listen to this new podcast now. Oh, my God. It's like all these really cool things I know, about New I wanna, York. You gotta one of them, they talk about Rikers Island. I'm like, oh, I can't I love wait. that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah so I'm like, this me. is a new You know what I've been listening to? Um, Behind the Blinds. I think I sent that to you. Where they mm-hmm. kind of expose, like, um, celebrities. 
No, you nef- I have, definitely have never heard of they it. They have all these blind items on celebrities. Must be some other friend you have. That's yeah. what you don't have any other friends. I have what a am lot I of friends. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. Like I, I've been listening to my same the same ones. Something was wrong. If you guys aren't listening to that, that's insane. Oh, yeah. oh my god, I, this I season to is this week, week's episode. I need to go listen to it. Oh my god. I know. Last week after I finished because I binged like the whole yeah. the whole season and uh-huh. then. Last, I, I think I finished it on like a Monday and I was like, oh my God, I can't wait for Thursday. I was like, should I just subscribe? <laughs> and it, well, no, because you can listen to it. No, no, no. You can listen to it early on um, on Amazon Prime. Oh, really? Yeah. So oh, you can okay. listen to it I a week early that. on Amazon Prime, oh, commercial free. Okay. So that's cool with something that was wrong. Yeah. So I, that one's really great, you guys. If you are, if you haven't listened, we, I love her stuff. Um, she's like. Um, she interviews people who have like women who have crazy stories like about, trauma yeah yeah kind of stuff and it's some i mean there's definitely a lot of triggers in it but she's doing this whole season on this one guy who is a douche yeah he is the biggest douchebag of all douchebags and all these women that have dated him and he's like a narcissist he's abusive physically emotionally mentally oh my god he's awful yeah. he was Justin Bieber's hairdresser for one <laughs> night one night um it was it's like he's nuts um so anyway some of those can be very like triggery yeah if you have to be careful listening to yeah. hers but she's um that's a really good one and the other one i listen to on a daily i mean on a weekly is um crime junkie oh yeah she's good too uh, yeah, yeah i like i like well them her Right now, it's just yeah, her. Right now, her, her partner's right. out right now. Yeah. But um, I love Small that Town one. Murder. Small Town Murder. Oh, my God. They are yeah. fucking hysterical. And that one's hard. You have to listen to it. And because he, he gives a lot of background on the town, which is kind of cool. All the, like, statistics of the town and stuff. Yeah. And it's cool. And, and they're, they just bounce off each other. And they make me laugh so yeah, hard. But their funny. podcasts are, like, two hours long. Yeah, they are it's really long. long. But they make me laugh. Like that was one of the first podcasts I started listening to. I don't even know. I stumbled upon it. Yeah, I don't know, you maybe... told me like after Serial, that's what we started listening to. Okay, I couldn't remember if Chris or you told me about it, but anyway, yeah, Chris doesn't like it. I will sit at work, and this is before the pandemic, and I would listen to it while I'm like entering information, yeah, like right. doing data. I do the same thing, and I will be laughing out loud. And people at, around me are like, "What?" And there was a new guy, and he's like. I guess he was being trained at the next desk yeah. by my one of my colleagues. And I guess he asked her a question <laughs> that was like he thought was kind of a dumb question. And I burst out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, and he said, she's, he said something like, oh, my God. And she was like, no, no, no. She's listening to a podcast. That's not, <laughs> that's not you. Yeah, everyone in my office knows I listen to podcasts. They, oh, my God, they will make you belly laugh. They are so funny. Yeah, they're pretty funny. Um, and then. LGTC, of course. LGTC, that's our they're favorite. our faves. They're yeah. our faves. They are hysterical. Are you a patron? No. No? No. I am. No. Sorry. No, it must be nice to be rich. So. <laughs> yeah. My but, like $7 a month. Yeah. So again, like if you guys want the name of this, well, uh, actually what I'll do is I'll um, tag them in the posts for this week that we mentioned them. And um, you guys can see those tags and go follow them. Let them know. Slide in their DMs. Let them know that we told you to follow them. Give us some kudos, bitches. So yeah, we do love them. So it's LGTC we talked about. We talked about crime junkie and shout out to my friend rebecca for suggesting my episode my story today becky becky with the butt becky Becky with the bubble butt that's what we used to call her oh my god that's really a nice name rose she had a bubble butt i wish i had a bubble butt 
She does. She Filthy has a calls. very nice butt. Small Town Murder. Who else do we talk about? LGTC. LGTC. Crime, Crime Junkie. Junkie. Oh, something was wrong. Something was wrong. And some one other thing. Oh, the new one. Yeah. The Brooklyn. What was I say? Bowery, Bowery Boys. Bowery Boys. Yeah. We're going to talk about you guys, right, guys and tag so you guys. Happy New Year. Happy go New list, Year. Go, go listen. Go like, rate, follow. No Ordinary <laughs> Women pod at Instagram and Facebook. And what's that thing called? No Ord Women. No. And TikTok. Oh. <laughs> the name of it. <laughs> and then No Ord, O-R-D, Women pod on Twitter. I am going to post on New Year's a post and you guys um, on Insta and on Facebook let us know what your New Year's resolutions are. Yeah. So you guys have a great week. I hope everyone's recovering from all the time with their family. Nobody was harmed in any way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ta-ta for now, so ladies and gentlemen. Bye. Bye.